Well, our text this morning for the sermon is Romans chapter 15, verses 7 to 13. And I ask you to please turn there in your Bibles. If you're a guest this morning, first of all, thank you for coming. Secondly, we have Bibles in the back here for you. Let me encourage you to go and find one, and someone will help you find the text. Romans chapter 15, verses 7 to 13. Romans 15, 7 to 13 concludes this section on unity just as Romans 14.1 began the section. And that is with an exhortation for us to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. So let's read together, church. Romans chapter 15. Let's begin with verse 7. This is God's word, his very word. May he bless it to the hearing of our ears and the understanding of our hearts. Romans 15.7. Therefore, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. To him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would be a people abounding in hope this morning. Hope based upon your first coming, and hope looking towards your second coming, and the glory you will share with us at that time. Oh, Lord, open the ears of everyone to hear your word this morning. Lord, give me utterance, I pray, of your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. The God of hope is the title of our message this morning. God of hope is what Paul calls him in verse 13 after calling him the God of endurance And encouragement in verse 5 of chapter 15. He is, of course, all three. He is the God of endurance. He is the God of encouragement. And he's the God of hope. But this morning, we focus on hope. Have you ever lost hope? Perhaps even now, you may be struggling with hopelessness. It can happen almost imperceptibly. One day you have hope, and the next day, you're without hope. One day you have faith. And the next day you find yourself complaining about everything and everybody. Discouraged, inward, defeated, hopeless. You may be asking yourself, how did I get here? Well, one answer that the Bible offers us is that we get to the place of hopelessness gradually over time as the things that we hoped for fail to materialize. And the scripture that I'm thinking of is Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. There are a lot of sick hearts in this world today. 
yours may be one of them. You may be one of the many people suffering silently in a dark night of hopelessness. I travel often to a country characterized by hopelessness so desperate that people take extreme measures to leave. And the cause of their hopelessness, like ours, is the deferment of their hope for what has been promised. Promises have been made for over half a century and the majority of them broken. And thus, one's spirit is broken. Broken promises break a person's spirit by dashing their hope. Hope is dashed on the rocks of broken promises, failed dreams, frustrated desires, and disappointing results to one's efforts. Are you wrestling with hopelessness this morning? Can you relate in some area of your life, perhaps your life with God, Spiritually, your life at home with your spouse and children domestically, your life at school, in your studies academically, your life at work, in your vocation, or your life with your friends, or maybe lack of friends, socially. Are you facing broken promises, either from others or most often promises we make to ourselves and fail to keep them? We break them over and over. You try and you work. And you even pray, but seemingly to no avail. The change you hoped for and worked for simply does not come to pass. You claim to promise, but to no avail. And now you find yourself in an unexpected place. On the rocks of broken promises and hopelessness. And as your hope breaks apart in front of your eyes, so does your faith in God. And you are tempted to give up. Or give in. If that describes you this morning, dear friend, then I pray that today you would receive hope from the God of hope. He is the source and sustainer of all hope, forged in the indestructible fires of his faithfulness to fulfill his promises. That leads us to point one. God is the God of hope because he keeps his promises through Jesus Christ. God is the God of hope because he keeps his promises through Jesus Christ. So what are the promises that God keeps through Jesus Christ? Well, look with me at verses 8 and 9 of our text. Verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercies. His promises, God's promises that Christ keeps, are the promises he made to the patriarchs. That means the fathers of the faith, of the faith of Israel. And it begins with Abraham, and it leads to his son Isaac, and his son Jacob, and then from Jacob come the 12 tribes of Israel. So what are these promises that God gave to the patriarchs? Well, they're the promise of a savior, a Messiah. They're the promise of a land. They're the promise of a blessing. They're the promise that they would be blessings to the nations. Well, let's read that promise. Because really it begins here in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. Here we find encapsulated the very promises that Paul says Jesus came to fulfill so that God would be truthful and not a liar. Because the moment you think God is a liar, 
or he's fudging on his promises, or he isn't good, you will lose hope. And the enemy of our soul comes to lie to us and tell us that God isn't truthful, or he isn't good. And Jesus came to say, he's both. He's truthful, keeps his promises, and he's good. He offers us salvation. But let's look at the promises that, to which Paul would be referring. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. This was written, excuse me, this occurred 2000 BC. 4,000 years ago, this took place. Is God faithful? Well, you tell me as we read this and then we see whether God fulfilled his word. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. That's Israel. And I will bless you and make your name great. That's through a Messiah. The ultimate blessing will be through a Savior. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families or nations of the earth shall be blessed. This is the promise that God gave to Abraham. Did God keep this promise? Did God keep the promise to bless Abraham through a Messiah or a Savior? Did, did God keep his promise to bless the nations through him? Did God keep his promise to give this man this great nation that he would create land and then through them bring a Savior who would bless the world? Read the Old Testament and you'll find out. But in a nutshell, yes, he did. And he did it through Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ is the one person, the seed of Abraham, through whom God would bless all the nations. So all God did to call Abraham, to call the Jewish people, to deliver them from Egypt, to deliver them into the promised land, to build the temple, to worship him, all of it was designed for one person. And that person was Jesus Christ, the one through whom God would save the world. Jesus is the Messiah promised to the Jews. Jesus is the one who included the Gentiles in his covenant of mercy. Jesus is the one through whom God created one new people, tearing down the walls of division by his body, Jesus' body, on the cross. And this new people would be composed of both Jews and Gentiles. This is why for two chapters, the theme has been unity. Come on, Jewish Christians. Come on, Gentile Christians in Rome. Please get together. Gentile Christians, stop de despising the Jewish Christians because they're kosher. Jewish Christians, stop judging the Gentile Christians because they're not. Both of you are saved in Christ Jesus alone. Welcome one another, 14.1. Welcome one another as you have been welcomed in Christ, 15.7. Jesus is the one who has welcomed us and calls us to welcome one another. We are his new people. The Gentiles have been grafted in. The Jews, hard for them to understand. How can these Gentiles, these unclean Gentiles, be part of God's people? Well, they are in Christ. And for the Gentiles, don't despise the Jew who has all these other things that he feels like he needs to do. They're saved in Christ just as you are. And the place we see this truth, the place we see that Christ has fulfilled the promises of God, thus verifying God's truthfulness, the one scripture that jumps out at us is in Ephesians. 
on the screen, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Paul writing to a bunch of Gentile Christians in Ephesus, modern day Turkey. Paul writing to these Gentile Christians reminds them of something. Verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles, the nations, the families of the world that God said he would bless through Abraham, that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, they weren't part of the original covenant that God made with Abraham, by what is called the circumcision, the Jews, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you Gentile Christians were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Losers. (laughs) In the sense of God's covenant. You were without hope. Are you without hope this morning? You did not have the covenant of promise. But now listen. It's coming. Verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by what? The blood of Christ. Fully welcomed by Christ. That's why he says, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you. Gentiles, welcome that Jewish brother in Christ as Christ welcomed you. At one time, you were without hope, without God, without the promises, and God grafted you in. Don't despise that Jewish Christian. Welcome him as Christ welcomed you. And you, Jewish Christian, you had the law, but all it did was condemn you. You had no hope. You were judged. You were a sinner. And in Christ, Messiah, you've been accepted and welcomed by God the Father. Now you're a true son or daughter of Abraham. So don't judge that Gentile Christian just because they're not kosher. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Back to the text in Ephesians. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down the dividing, broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance that he might create in himself one new man. In place of the two. You want to know what he looks like? Turn around. It's us. We're the new body of Christ. We're the new people of God. Jew, Gentile. Created for himself one new man in place of two. So making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body. That's the body of Christ. Through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Friends, Jesus came to show that God is truthful. That God fulfills his word, his promise to create a new people, Jew and Gentile, through his life, his death, his resurrection, and in his ascension. And if you're here this morning, and you do not know Christ in that way, you are here this morning, you do not understand the gospel. It has not really made sense to you. I pray that God would open your heart and your eyes and your ears, metaphorically speaking, spiritually speaking, that you might understand, that you might repent and believe in Jesus Christ, who alone is the source of hope, dear friend. No gift you get this Christmas, no reunion you have this Christmas will fully satisfy, because the gift you need is the gift of eternal life in Christ, and the reunion you need the most is the reunion with Father God, because you've been separated from Him by your sin. And Jesus fulfills God's promise to bless the nations 
by drawing you in and grafting you into the promises. You see, friends, the Gentiles glorifying God for his mercies, along with the Jews in the Roman church to whom Paul wrote 2,000 years ago, fulfilled the promise that God made to Abraham 2,000 years before that in 2000 B.C. He promised the patriarchs to bless the nations, the Gentiles, through them. And that them was actually a person, Jesus Christ. It is for this reason that Paul calls both Jew and Gentile to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed them. Are we welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God? Because you see, the church is where God's glory is on full display. Make no mistake, this is God's glory that brings together two different people. As one new people, we worship God together. No longer worshiping Him in a pagan temple for the Roman Gentile Christian, nor even in the Jewish temple for the Jewish Christian, because God said, I've sent a new temple, and it's a person. It's not a place. It's Jesus. Worship me in Jesus. Worship me there. Gentile, Jew. It's in the church. We display the glory of God. That's why I love the church. That's why you should love her. That's why I willingly give my life for the church and serve the church. The church is where we see the promise of God to the patriarchs come to life. We're like a living nativity scene. Now, I've been to some living nativity scenes. They're messy. You have animals there. They're doing what animals do. It's loud. It smells. Not clean and antiseptic, but messy. But gloriously messy. It is the glory of God bringing together a people in Christ who would never come together. A glorious unity that is produced by God as we welcome one another as Christ welcomed us. And as we welcome one another, as Christ prayed that we would welcome one another. He prayed that in his high priestly prayer the night before he was betrayed. It is messy, but it's a mess worth making. It is God's glory on display to the nations. And for that reason, the main application of this message, the main application of this text really is welcome one another as Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another as Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. We glorify God by welcoming one another. If you would like to know how to glorify God in your life, welcome those that are maybe a little different than you are. Not just tolerate them, but welcome them. Christ has welcomed us. And as we do that, we declare God to be truthful. We display his glorious plan of salvation One people in Christ, Jew, Gentile, Anglo, Hispanic, white, black, young, old, rich, poor, male, female, all worshiping him together in Christ Jesus. Our unity is based upon our devotion to Christ, not our our agreement on all the other matters, what Paul called disputable matters. Now, what Paul does in verses 9b to 12 is he gives us four Old Testament citations to prove that Christ fulfilled the promises that God made to the patriarchs. And I want you to note, when you study this later for yourself, that these four citations come from the three major divisions of the Old Testament. The law, he's going to cite Deuteronomy. The writings, 
He's going to cite Psalms twice. And the prophets, he's going to cite Isaiah once. And I want to drop into just two of them. Look at verse 9. I want to drop into his citing of the writings. Look at Romans 15.9. I believe it's on the screen. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So he's saying, Jesus came to say God is truthful. And Jesus came to include the Gentiles so that they might glorify God for his mercy. So the theme is the Gentiles. Jesus came to bring two people together into one new man. It's what the Jews never really understood fully. Had a hard time accepting. How can you accept? How can these people be part of God's people? They're, they're really unclean and sinful. No, they are. Accept it. You Gentiles, you're grafted in, so don't boast about it. So Jesus came to fulfill the promises and to bring these two people together. And then Paul is going to quote four Old Testament scriptures, and I'm going to highlight one of them right now, Psalm 1849. If you see in the, the scripture there, there's a quotation mark right before therefore, because he's now quoting from Psalm 1849. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And, and in the... In the uh, Old Testament, Psalm 1849 on the screen. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. Instead of Gentiles, they say nations. It's the same thing. Anybody that's not a Jew would be the nations. The Gentiles, the non-Jews. You were Jew, non-Jew. That was it for a Jew in his mind back then. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Now here's what's interesting. For a Jew, he would understand this. Psalm 18 is what's called a messianic psalm. What does that mean? It means that it's going to be talking about King David, but King David is a picture or an image. King David is a type of the King David to come, the king that will rule his people, the king who will conquer all. Here in Psalm 18, when it was originally penned, David is thanking God that he has allowed him, David, to conquer the nations around Israel and bring them under his authority by religious might and power. Paul is quoting it here of Jesus Christ saying that Jesus is now thanking the Father that you have brought the nations underneath my rule, the kingdom of God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ so that now no longer Jews are under the rule of God as his people through the covenant, but now he's included us Gentiles who bow our knee to Christ, those elect of God that now are under the rule of Jesus, the greater David. And he's thanking God for that. This, dear friends, is fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. The nations will be blessed when they come under the rule, the benevolent, wonderful, glorious rule of Jesus Christ. And then skipping down to verse 12, I want to highlight Paul's reference of Isaiah. Paul is going to quote Isaiah 11.1 1 here in Romans 15.12. And again, Isaiah says, now remember, he's giving you proof that Jesus fulfilled God's promise to bring the Gentiles in. And here's the proof in these quotations. Romans 15.12. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse, that's Jesus, Isaiah was pointing to Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises. I believe this is a reference to Christ's resurrection. Because in Christ's resurrection is where the ultimate victory is won. In Christ's resurrection, sin and death are defeated on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He who arises to rule the Gentiles, but not in a mean way, not in a way to exploit them, in a way to bless them. Because he is the ruler to rule the Gentiles. In him, 
Will the Gentiles hope? And that word hope is key this morning, brothers and sisters. Hope is the key word in this section. It's the hope of the Gentiles. Christ Jesus, the one who rose from the dead. He is our hope. The Gentiles are able to praise God because Christ has risen from the dead and Christ's death on the cross paid for their sins so that they might now be included in the covenant of promise in the new covenant and not just the Gentiles, but the Jews as well. Dear Jewish friend, you're no longer included in the covenant because you are kosher. No. If you want to keep your kosher law, fine. If your conscience tells you you have to eat meat that's been blessed by certain people or hasn't been used in certain things, that's fine. But you're not saved by that. You're saved by Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. You are saved by faith alone and Christ alone, by the grace of God alone, not in keeping the law. And dear Gentile, you are included in this covenant, in this new covenant, which is a continuation of the old one covenant, and the new covenant now is the fulfillment of the old. You are, you are included by the blood of Jesus Christ, what we read in Ephesians. And therefore, God has fulfilled the promise to Abraham. I love what Doug Moo says in his commentary. God has fulfilled the promise of the Abrahamic covenant by bringing Gentiles into the people of God through the gospel. Oh, friends, God has welcomed us. Therefore, we are to welcome one another. Why? Because he's welcomed us in Christ. Paul just finished listening. This is how God welcomed us all in Christ. Therefore, let us welcome one another as we have been welcomed. We welcome one another, friends, by the power of the Holy Spirit who fills us with all joy and peace in believing that we might abound in hope. And that's point two. Verse 13. The God of hope fills us with all joy and peace and by the power of the Holy Spirit causes us to abound in hope. Friends, our God is the God of hope because he fulfills every one of his promises through Jesus Christ and specifically he fulfills them through Christ's resurrection. Look at verse 12 again. That is what Paul is saying. He's using the Isaiah quote to tell us that it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that God fulfills his promises to us. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises, the resurrection of Christ, to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. In whom do you hope this morning? Do you hope in the one that rose from the dead? Oh, friends, he's the one who blesses us. Listen, at the end of this long theological section where he's quoting the Old Testament, where he's uh, exhorting them to have unity and welcome one another because Christ has welcomed them, Paul stands in front of his congregation and he raises his hands in verse 13 and he blesses them. This is a benediction. It's similar to the benediction that Paul gave them earlier But this benediction, the focus of this benediction is hope. God is saying to us, I am the God of hope, the one who rose from the dead. And as Paul extends his hands and as Paul blesses us in the name of God, who is the God of hope, he then gives us joy and peace in believing. Oh, friends, God fulfills his promise to Abraham by blessing us with joy and peace. The source of joy and peace is Jesus Christ himself, 
the Prince of Peace. Anywhere else that we go for joy and peace, we will be disappointed. Anywhere else that we hope for joy and peace this Christmas season, we will be disappointed. Whatever family reunion you're in, it will leave you a bit disappointed. Whatever turkey you ate this last Thursday, it's going to leave you a little disappointed. It's not going to go perfectly. The only place that we find true joy and peace is in Christ Jesus, the one who rose to rule and reign. God is the source and sustainer of our hope in Christ Jesus. And he gives us that hope. So my question to you is this, where is your hope this morning? Is it in the one who rose from the dead? Paul is exhorting us, Jew and Gentile, to welcome one another. And then he gives us the hope and he gives us the joy and the peace to do so, even as Christ welcomed us, fulfilling God's promise to bless the nations, to bless us through Abraham. And that's exactly what Christ has done, bringing God's mercy to both Jew and Gentile, welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed us, will cost us. Just as it cost Christ. How did Christ welcome us? He welcomed us by dying on the cross and removing the dividing wall. Paying for our sins. But it will never cost us even a fraction of what it cost Jesus Christ. And what this text tells us is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is God himself who will fill us with all joy and all peace as we believe and as we live by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by his power, this joy and peace will overflow into hope. So let's pray. Let's pray to God of hope right now that he would fill us with joy and peace and faith as he unites us in Christ, as we welcome one another, even as Christ welcomed us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you promised to rescue us. And you, in fact, did rescue us in Christ. You promised, dear Lord, to send us hope that hope would come. And hope has come in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray for my friends who are listening to this message. Lord, I pray that you would pour out by the Holy Spirit joy and peace as they believe you. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us hope and that we would welcome one another even as Christ welcomed us. Lord, birth hope in our hearts. Lord, for the hopeless who's experienced many broken promises, perhaps to themselves. Lord, to the one who has struggled in change The hope for change simply has not come. Lord, would you renew hope in their hearts? Would you give them hope that comes from you, Jesus Christ? You never break your promise. You always give us what you promised us. Lord, you are the source and sustainer of hope. And we so need your hope. Give us hope this morning. I pray this. Lord, even as we sing of your hope, even as we sing of the fact that you have come to restore your people, that you have come to rescue sinners, Lord, even as we sing this, may hope arise in our hearts. I just want to take a moment. If you right now 
are sitting there thinking, Al, you don't know how hopeless I am. I've tried, but in my heart there does not seem to be a passion for the Lord. In my heart there does not seem to be a desire to obey God. As a matter of fact, my life is riddled with times of blatant disobedience. I've lost hope that I can change. I believe God wants to give you that hope this morning. It's in Christ who rose from the dead. It's in Christ who defeated sin. It's in Christ who lives right now interceding for you in the heavenlies. It is Christ whose second advent we look toward. It's it's, it's in Jesus this morning. You might be sitting there and there are promises, there are things that you've worked for and desired and they simply have not come about. You're facing failure at work, at home, at school, uncertainty. You look back to the past with longing eyes, but in the present, in the present, all you feel is you're being battered on the rocks of seemingly broken promises and your faith is coming apart at the seams. God, this Christmas season, God, this Advent, wants to restore your hope. He's the God of all hope. Lord, would you do that right now? Just take a moment in your hearts just to cry out to God. This is a holy moment. This is time for you to do business with God and respond to this word. Lord, even as you're restoring hope across this auditorium to those who are listening digitally, Father, would you continue to display your glory as we gather together as your people. We're only here because you welcomed us. We're only here because you called us. We're only here because you saved us by your sovereign grace. But we thank you that we're here. May we shine this Christmas season. May we shine with the glory of God. Yes, God's glory has come. He's come in his son, Jesus Christ. And he's come to save his people and bring them together to display and shine forth the glory of God through his church, his body. Oh, may we, may we have hope, Lord, renewed hope, joy, and peace. May it just fill us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing about that hope that has come.